Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. The book of Esther. Amen this evening. Esther chapter number 6. And uh, we are glad to be back home with you folks. And I caught up on every service on my way home. I listened to everything and got the live session with Brother Malone uh, on my drive home uh, Sunday night. So everybody else wasn't live, but his was. I'm not playing favorites or anything. I'm just just the way that it happened, okay? But, uh, but nonetheless, so it sounds like you all had good times and a good word uh, from each and every individual that I heard and uh, some of the things, different things that I heard and made me remember stuff that I've written down somewhere that i got to find and so on and so forth. Uh, so uh, maybe inspired me, amen, to look back at something that I had written down before. So that's always excellent. They say they, uh, the old saying used to be is that uh, you can tell a good sermon by how many other sermons it inspires uh, because you have like the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus Christ in Scripture that went on for verses and verses, and there's been so many sermons from the Sermon on the Mount. And so that's just a saying. I ain't saying it's true or it's false. I'm just saying it's a saying. But nonetheless, Esther chapter number 6, we're going to try to get through the, this chapter tonight. Amen. Again, we're just in a narrative, so this is kind of the way things flow a little bit. I suspect... And since I'm saying this, I'm shooting myself in both feet probably, but I suspect probably a good four to five more weeks in Esther and then she'll be done. So my goal is to try maybe, you know, the last Wednesday of the year to be finished with Esther. And so if that's the case, then we might segue into connect groups then in January, but we'll see how all that plays out here. We'll see if she gets the people delivered or not, okay? We'll just see if it happens. Esther 6, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, On that night could not the king sleep, and he commanded to bring the book of records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king, and it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, There is nothing done for him. And that's where I'll stop for now. Just kind of uh, overarching label for this chapter tonight is going forward in reverse. Going forward in reverse. And just the whole uh, idea around that is that Again, we've talked about all these different reversals in the book of Esther, and this chapter is filled with a lot of them. And so we're going forward in reverse, in reversals, if we want to say it out plainly. But nonetheless, just something to place, something they put on media and find it later in podcasts or something with. All right, Lord Jesus, we thank you tonight, God, for your spirit. We're thankful, Lord, for those who, Lord, who faithfully came tonight. We continue to pray for those, Lord, with sickness. We pray, God, enlighten our minds and our hearts this evening. God, as we look one more time into your word, God, for these are the words of life. God, we know, Lord, they can bring life to us, Lord, in your name. In Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. 
You may be seated tonight. Again, chapter 6 is full of reversals. We've already had some, and some are more subtle uh, than others, but there are a lot of reversals in chapter number 6. Just a little quick little synopsis or summary of chapter 6 to kind of pick up on these reversals. For one, the king is awake when he should be sleeping. The chronicles of the record then are read at an unmost likely time. And what is read is an intervention that was made for the king that he never honored the individual for. Haman arrives early in the morning to see the king because of some personal uh, business that he wanted to see him about. And by doing so, he was then actually employed for Mordecai's benefit, who happens to be his enemy. Everything that Haman recommends for himself in reality is used then for Mordecai, reversal after reversal. The man that showed him no honor, Mordecai that is, now is paraded through the streets and honored with some of the highest regard uh, that was known of that time. Reversal, reversal. Haman goes home mourning. When he anticipated to go home all cheery and merry of heart, going to go to the queen and the king banquet again, and everything's going to be well because this gallow thing's going to be in the background and we're going to have Mordecai hung on them. That's not how it worked out. And so he's going home mourning rather than rejoicing. And when he gets home, different than what happened last time he went home with his braggadocious ways, yeah, I got this many kids and all of that. If you remember from a couple weeks ago, it's not all that this time Uh, he goes home maybe perhaps to be comforted at home but he's not they basically tell him if you're missing with Mordecai and he's a Jew uh, and you're failing in that already you're going to fail great to have a supportive voice at home and so reversal after reversal and so once again in this study and with the Bible in general we got to erase the lines of chapter and verse divisions and realize that whenever it says in verse 1 on that night Could not the king sleep? It was that very night that ended in the previous chapter that Haman had caused the gallows to be made. On that same night, the king could not sleep. And so it's fun to play with. We begin to ask questions. Did the king not sleep because gallows, you know, there's construction work going on, you know, with the gallows being made through the night? I don't know. We don't know for sure, but it is interesting to entertain the idea that, uh, you know, here's Haman and the work crew out there. Come on, boys, get the gals up and all this stuff. And that could have been keeping the king awake, which is going to have a very negative effect on Haman uh, in particular. So we don't know for sure, but it would be ironic if that was the reason why uh, he was kept awake, thus causing the book of record to be read and all these things that begin to take place. And though even with this, that the king couldn't sleep, we look at that. I mean, how many's ever just had a sleepless night? Never? If some of you have never had a sleepless night, I want to shake your hand. <laughs> you know, and so we look at that and it's like, you know, is this coincidence? You know, the king didn't have, you know, had, had a sleepless night. Is it fate? But when we look at the whole, the whole scope of this story, I think not. This is just not another sleepless night for the king, in my opinion. This is just not fate doing its work. And we, we I mean, there's things that happen in our life that are uh, ordinary and yet the results of them bizarre. And so we want to label it as, oh, that's, 
that was that was just so weird, you know, or that was lucky or coincidence. We want to do it because it seems like them playing out is so bizarre. It's just, it's got to be coincidence, right? I mean, in order for this to take place, it's just got to. But what we must understand concerning our life, just the same as Haman and Mordecai and Esther and all of this, is that God can work in mysterious ways. And God can work through what would seem like just something very ordinary, something very regular, yet be doing something in that that's greater, deeper, broader than what we may even realize. You, you don't have, what I'm getting at is this, we, we said from the very beginning, we, we don't see God mentioned in the book of Esther, so on and so forth, and that is true. But you don't have to mention God in this book to understand that he's at work in the book. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 11 and verse number 5, as thou knowest not what is in the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In other words, he's saying there, there are just some things that, you know, the whole dynamic, it's just too, too complex to figure out. I mean, the bones growing into a... I know we could do the science behind it, but the, just the, the actuality of everything, that it's just almost just too difficult to wrap your mind around. It says, even so, there are things that, that God does and works in that are so intricate as well that if you were to try to figure it out, you're going to be chasing your tail like a dog because they're just too wonderful, yet God's in those details. As a matter of fact, Paul told the Romans, he said, speaking of God, that his ways are past finding out. Talks about in Psalms, the psalmist said, talking about the Lord's ways were in the seas and his paths were in the great waters and that the, his footsteps are not always known. You can't always trace the intentions and the footsteps of God and I've often said, and I've probably said it here before, but it bears repeating, if you understand everything that God does, then that would mean you is probably God. Right? His ways are higher than our ways, and thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so we have all this taking place. Charles Swindoll said this, which you think and ponder on, Haman is out there building a gallows so he can kill Mordecai. Meanwhile, in the palace in the middle of the night, the king is trying to find a way to honor Mordecai. So we have two sides of a coin here. Someone is diligently trying to do away with this man, destroy him, kill him. And on the other side of the coin is a man that's trying to figure out what would be the best route or way that I can honor this person. And I don't know if you can derive uh, much from this tonight, what I'm about ready to say, but often our lives are lived right on the fringe of being threatened and being blessed. Moses even told the nation of Israel at one time uh, in their wilderness journeys and as they were going to approach and go into the promised land, he says, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. That's often where our lives are lived, right there with the threat of, of a blessing or even that of a curse. And here's the thing about Mordecai. He's oblivious to either one. He, he, he's living life right now in this episode. He doesn't realize that someone is planning to take his life, nor does he realize on the other side of the spectrum that there's a king that's wanting to honor his life. He's oblivious, and that also 
uh, really pinpoints us sometimes saying we really are not aware on either side of the coin. Sometimes we believe we're more well of the threats than we are the blessings. But we live right there on the fringe of both. We're slightly aware sometimes of both. But uh, if, if, I, if I could speak back to Mordecai from the present, I would tell him this. Mordecai, and he's oblivious to both of these, but if he knew, I would tell him this. Mordecai, don't fear the gallows unless you miss the royal robe that's going to be placed on your shoulders. Huh? Because sometimes we can hone in on, focus in on something that everything else goes by. We can catastrophize things, right? And so all, all things could be done here that could be done to help, help the king combat this sleepless night. I mean, he could have had entertainers come in, probably someone come pluck the harp and all kinds of different things. He chooses, read the records to me, of all things, seriously. I mean, I guess that would be a good way to fall asleep if it was quite disinteresting. Just read the records to me. But think with me for a moment. Of all the records that could have been read, this particular volume or however, you know, scroll is picked and the account of Mordecai uncovering the plot to assassinate the king is read. And the king, of course, asks what's been done for this man they say nothing, which was not typical. Usually, Persian kings acted very swiftly in honoring and giving reward to those that have been helpful in the kingdom. But what is interesting here, it seems like Mordecai has been delayed. He's had some delay in receiving honor, yet his delay in receiving honor is really moving to the advantage of a maneuver for the benefit of the Jewish people. Looked like a delay. But it's really working for the benefit of you. And if you're not amazed by that within itself, let's remember this, that the whole discovering of the plot of the assassins is five years old at this point in time. It's not like this happened yesterday and they're reading just yesterday's record. When they picked a record, they are grabbing a record that is five years old and happening. And what some would say, by chance, reading Mordecai, discovering this plot and sharing it with Esther, Esther with the king. Folks, that's not chance. That's not luck. That's not happenstance. That is a hand of God that's at work in just the common, ordinary things of life. That's what we talked about at different junctures along the way, that is the providence of God. The providence of God of just using good things, bad things, everyday things, huh, to turn about his, his, his purpose and his will. The Bible says in verse number four of our chapter, I'll read a, couple, a few verses here, and the king said, who is in the court, right? Because he's ready to act upon this now. Because I'm not known to... Be slack and rewarding. It's been five years for crying out loud. Where's my head at, you know? Let's do this. Who is in the court? Now Haman. Why is Haman in the court? Why? Because he wanted to go early that day and get this whole Haman on, or Mordecai on the gallows situation thumbed up so he could go to the banquet later. Yeehaw! I'm a free man, you know? Don't have to worry about his sorry face not bowing because it's not going to be in existence. Right? 
type of situation. And so he's there early in the morning because of that. And yet since he was there early, who's out there? I don't see anybody but Haman. Have it come in, you know? And so now Haman was coming to the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he prepared for him. Reversal. Verse 5, And the king's servant said to him, Behold, Haman standeth at the court. And the king said, Let him come in. Verse 6, So Haman came in. And, I mean, he's oblivious. I mean, Haman doesn't know about this. He's like, yeah, this is why he's hoping. Get into the king's presence. Get this taken care of. Yes. Amen. So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, and note the word in the scripture here. We'll talk about it here a little bit more in a bit. What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, being the modest, humble man that he is, to whom would the king delight to do honor more than to myself? Now remember, a couple weeks ago, that's the last time I was here, I think. Haman's emotions rise and fall with the respect that he receives or doesn't receive, right? His idol is his ego. And here's a fact. When you have an ego that is never satisfied, then everything around you is always about you. Letting that settle there just for a moment. Because there was no other possibility in Haman's mind that the king could speak to anyone or about anyone or want to honor anyone except him. Because why? Again, a prideful person, they believe every conversation that people have or statements that they make is about them whether good or whether bad. So, granted, the king did not say precisely who he wanted to honor, right? He didn't say that. He didn't say. And he wasn't being deceptive and not saying, okay? But to look over on the other side, Haman never precisely said who he wanted the decree to destroy either when it came to the king and talking to the king. But nonetheless, it's just interesting to see. And so the king's not trying to be deceptive about who he wanted to honor because the focus in the question of verse number six, the focus is not really on the whom he wanted to honor or who he wanted to honor. The focus was on what should be done for one that I want to honor. But look how egotistical Haman turns the tables. He takes a what and makes it a whom. The king saying, what shall be done? And Haman makes it, whom shall it be done? Because a prideful, ego-driven heart will make every question of where and what and why and how turn into a who or a whom. Case in point. Just walk with me here just a little bit, okay? Boys and girls, it's our Sunday school lesson for Wednesday. Imagine setting some, okay, all these episodes are about some egotistical, pride-driven, all right, person. You have been invited to their house to eat. 
And you ask what is a very innocent question. There's nothing loaded behind it. You ask, you've been invited to their house to eat, but you just have to ask, where's the best place to eat in Mount Carmel? The egotistical person then interprets your question, they don't like my cooking. The question was just simple. Where? Nothing loaded in it, Sister Sheila. Just an honest question. They're foreign to Mount Carmel. They just want to know where. But the ego person takes the where and turns it to a who. This is, they, they don't like my cooking. You, you, you work in a factory and uh, this ego person is uh, a team leader over a production line and someone comes up to him, maybe someone higher management, lower management, Brother Malone, they come up to him and they ask that person, what can we do to improve your production line? What can we do to improve your production line? The ego person is, they have a problem with the way that I manage my line. Everybody doing okay? <laughs> they have... The question was very simple. No intent other than just, what, I mean, what can we do? They have a problem with the way I manage this line. Everybody okay? Whew. Glory, amen. <sighs> We're outside together with Mr. or Mrs. Ego. And, uh, you know, it's chilled outside, but it's not cold outside, but they're heavily got on this heavy coat and stuff. Sister Mason, I'm not talking about you. By no, I just happen to think about it being extremely cold. <clears throat> and we asked them, why are you wearing a coat when it's not cold outside? Why are you wearing a coat when it's not cold outside? That's just a why question. The egotistical person is, they don't like how my jacket looks. We're laughing about it, folks, but I'm talking to you right now. Everything's got to be about them. As crazy as looking back at that little clock ticking there and, you know, asking the ego person, how does that clock work? They don't think I know how to operate that clock. <laughs> or how a clock operates. And that, it sounds real bogus. But that's exactly. He's asking what can be done for someone that I want to do want to honor he's like whom would he want to honor except me the, the gifted the gifted noble one <laughs> everything's got to be about them they'll turn the negativity about them or the good about them it always got to be about them amen so granted and i'm not i'm not asking any of us to be ignorant Granted, people sometimes can be conniving with their questions, right? And they can be loaded and all that. But if you're going to live your life believing that every question that is ever posed is a roundabout way at getting at you, then you probably got an ego problem. Well, that went over like a flock of dogs. Amen. Amen. Because it might be legitimate. might be just a legitimate, honest, no ulterior motive question. Right? It might be quite straightforward, but we got to, ego person's got to read into it. Pride's got to twist it about and make it about us. 
Am I doing okay? Let's go on to verse number seven. <laughs> Need my brown bag. And Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delighteth to honor, this is Haman answering now. Listen now, remember what he thought in his heart? Who would the king want to honor except me? So he's responding with himself in mind. The, the, the man whom the king delighted to honor, let the royal apparel be brought, which the king useth to wear. So the king's wore it one time. Let, let that man wear it. And the horse that the king rideth upon and the crown roll which is set upon his head and let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes that they may array the man with all whom the king delighteth to honor and bring him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaim before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. So again, Haman's response in every way are things that he wishes to be honored by and how he wishes to be honored by the king. And it's kind of like the weirdest twist of the golden rule that happened right here. You know, the golden rule is like, do unto others as you would have them. And that's always important, it's as you would have them, not as they do unto you. Some people say the golden rule is that, do unto others as they do unto you. No, it's not returning eye for eye, to for no, no, no. It's as you would have them. Well, this is probably the weirdest twist on the golden rule. He's like, this is what I like done to me. <laughs> and so that's what he's going to end up doing to the person he hates. It's like the weirdest twist ever. And so Haman wants the royal apparel. Look at this. He wants the royal apparel of the king. And it must be royal apparel that the king has wore at one time. I mean, I don't know if there's a little fetish involved there or what's going on here with Haman, but... That is just a slightly weird, okay? I'd just be happy if, even if he didn't wear it as long as it was royal apparel. But nonetheless, he said he useth to wear. And so he, he, has, he has that brought. He's going to have that on his shoulders. He's going to ride on the king's royal steed, the royal horse. And note, he said, I want the crown royal on its head, meaning he wants that, that headdress that were on the king's horses that denoted this is the royal steed. This, this is the king's horse. That must be there because I want it to denote the royal service as I'm going through, you know, on you know, Clyde the horse, you know, that he has all the depictions that he is a kingly horse, not just an everyday horse. And people's got to know there's got to be a herald. It's got to be stated around that this is what's done for, for someone that the king desires and wishes to honor and get a noble man to do all of this thing. This is what I want. And so what we really have here is Haman is really wanting a certain level of equality with the king. Which reminds me of someone else in Scripture. Hmm? Haman wants to be like this pagan king, Ahasuerus. But there's somebody else in Scripture that wanted to be like somebody in that type of status. We read of it in Isaiah, the stories throughout Scripture. But a high archangel by the name of Lucifer wanted to be like the Most High. Remember the scripture of Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15. How art thou, and please notice the words of descent and ascent in these verses. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down? to the ground which didst weaken the nations. For thou hast said in thy heart, here comes the five I wills, 
You've said in your heart, Haman spoke in his heart. Who else would they want to honor? I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also up on the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Very similar. Here's Haman, give me the robe, give me the horsey, give me the proclamation, the ones he useth to wear, you know, all these things. And here's the enemy. He's like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go above the stars of God. I'm going to sit up on the mount. I'm going to be like him, blah, blah, blah. Nope, you're going to fall. And Haman, that is your prescription as well. You think you're going up, <laughs> but you're just under a, uh, a spell right now because you're going up. You're going down, but it feels like you're going up. <laughs> and so I hate to tell you. Verse 10, then the king said to Haman, I got to hurry. Then the king said to Haman, make haste. <laughs> oh, I could, I could imagine being right there and standing and listening. Make haste and take the apparel and the horse. Yeah, yeah. As thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew. That sitteth at the king's gate, let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. Then took Haman the apparel and the horse and arrayed Mordecai, oh, a bow of humble soup, and brought him on horseback through the street of the city, proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done. I don't know if there was like cracking in his voice. Unto <laughs> the man. <laughs> Whom the king delighteth to honor. <laughs> I mean, seriously, think about it for a moment, folks. I mean, he might have been how maybe he was gritty to you. Yeah. That shall be done to the man. I mean, it could go with both ends of the spectrum. I'm sure he had all the emotions under the sun that was coursing through his body. Everything that Haman desired for himself, he's given to his enemy. Everything that he's done for himself, the king wanted him to do for his enemy, right? And we know from verse 10, note this, we know from verse 10 that the king knows that Mordecai is a Jew. Did you see that? Because he told Haman to take all of that, right? In verse 10, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew. The king knows Mordecai is a Jew, but he still doesn't realize yet what's been determined for the Jews, although his signet ring has endorsed it, right? Because they never discussed what people, he just waved the flag, but the next chapter will bear out that he finds out very soon in the presence of Esther. Think for a moment. Okay, death date is on the calendar for the Jews. That's already been put into decree about 11 months from when it happened or from when the writing was written, it was going to take place. So death date is on the calendar, right? Because they've mourned, they've been in sackcloth and ashes, tears have ran down their face. Oh, what are we going to do 11 months? All this stuff is going on. And imagine this, that is all in the stage. And now they see one of their own, a Jew, set on a royal steed with royal garments over his shoulders, Prayed it through his streets, saying, This is what the king does for those he delights.
to honor. What do you think that did for the morale? Because this is happening to one of their people from the same origin that a decree is written that you're all going to die in 11 months. What's going on? What's happening? What could this have done for the Jews to see that this man is being honored when death date is on the calendar just a little later? I believe it was probably much like uh, when we spoke about in, in chapter number three, much like whenever the decree was first written the day before they celebrated Passover. You remember that? And when they celebrated Passover, they're celebrating their deliverance and the day before it's talking about how they're going to die. I believe it probably had that same type of impact on them. Here we're supposed to die, but there's one of our own being paraded in the streets with honor and all the pomp and everything of the kingdom behind them. Maybe this thing has a chance of turning tide. Maybe, maybe this isn't going to end as we formerly thought it would end. Look at verse number 12, and I, I still got some time, and just because I'm getting to the last verse doesn't mean I'm done, okay? Just letting you know, in case you, I've been gone so long you forgot. And Mordecai came again to the king's gate, but Haman hasted to his house, like he's finished the parade. Mordecai goes to the king's gate, Haman hasted to his house mourning, having his head covered. And Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise men and Zeresh, his wife, unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews, before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shalt surely fall before him. I'm sorry, I got to laugh. I mean, it's the greatest thing ever. I mean, you're coming to the safe place of your home, your wife, your friends that you boasted to before. You're telling them how a rotten day you had, and they're like, it's not going to get any better. <laughs> Put on your armor, it's going to be worse tomorrow. You know, I love you, dear. It's so just, I love, I love scripture. And, 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 and so it, it, if you started to fall before me, you're not going to survive. You're going to fail. And so verse 14, and while they were yet talking with him, came the king's chamberlains and hastened to bring Haman into the banquet that Esther had prepared. And remember that this is the second banquet that he's being taken away to. Now, here's something I think that's important to, to look at in verse number 12. The parades happened. The honors happened. Mordecai went to the king's gate. Granted, we know that Mordecai has some problems, right? Hmm? He has some issues, just like all of us. He's got some flaws. But if one positive thing can be said about Mordecai, that is this, that Mordecai is faithful to his place and placement. Because throughout the story of Esther, you know what you commonly see about Mordecai? He's at the king's gate. During the highs, he's at the king's gate. At the lows, he's at the king's gate. If you survey the scripture up from the point of the beginning up to this time, and I did a little bit this afternoon before I came, he was at the king's gate whenever Esther was with all the other women being considered for queen. He was at the king's gate when he foiled the plan of the assassins. He was at the king's gate, of course, on multiple occasions when he failed to respect the office that Haman held. He was at the king's gate before it whenever he had on his own sackcloth and ashes bewailing that his people was going to be destroyed. All right? And then... After all this pomp and parade of honor that happened to him, he didn't go on the highest pinnacle and proclaim himself the bow wow. No, he gets done. And where does he go? 
back to the king's gate. That's where he's been through the highs. That's where they placed him. That was his place. That's where he's been through the lows. That's where he's been when he's made his mistakes. That's where he's been when he's failed. That's where he's been when he succeeded. But he's been faithful to the king's gate. Evidently, all the honor didn't go to his head from the parade. See, he went back to the king's gate. I say that to say this tonight, that you may have many different, and you will have many different experiences. There'll be times you'll have successes in your lives, and there'll be times that you'll have more failures than you count. But there's something that must be said for staying faithful to a task and a place and a purpose. What I mean is this. As a pastor, Sam, I'd rather see you fail while you faithfully come to church then fail and leave the church. I'd rather see you here crying and mourning and beating your fist on the altar over a lot of confusing thoughts that are running through your mind right here than to abandon your place, your post altogether. High tide, low tide, just be faithful to the place. When you succeed or when you fail, it's okay. Just be faithful to the place. Because something must be said for just being faithful to the place. Whereas Haman, on the other hand, he hastened home, bless his pee-picking heart, mourning. His head is covered. There's almost a sense of embarrassment that is here because this wasn't according to anything he had planned. Right? And so if you're a person that you have expectations, you expect them to be met, uh, it's a bad day for him. Haman, bad day for Haman. Because he again went to, went to the king with all purposes of getting the okay for the gallows. He wants to go to the banquet merrily. That's not happening today. It's not happening at all. But the scripture really plays out, the scripture of Proverbs that we have already looked at in weeks gone by, that pride goeth before and a haughty spirit before. That is played out right here in the good old story of Esther, Mordecai, and Haman. Ironically, though, when we look at Scripture, what happened earlier when the Jews knew that they were going to die? They mourned, sackcloth, ashes, they're mourning. Now, Haman has his time of mourning. Haman told his wife and friends, <laughs> this is, I got to get out of this. This is very bad. Just think how awesome it was. <laughs> Telling his, his wife and friends what happened when he came to them boasting so big time before, now he has his, his hat in his hand, so to speak. Now he's there sulking. Now he's there with some complaint. And they comfort him the way that they know how. Now there's something I want to point out to you, and I'll hasten in the next, you know, five minutes or so. From a literary standpoint, when we look at Esther just a literary standpoint. And just as much as God moved upon men of old, inspired of God to write the Holy Scriptures, I believe the way in which they wrote, the way in which they wrote, the structure in which they wrote, all devised by God. They're, they're, again, there is no coincidence. All devised by God. Because there, there, is a, there is a function in literature that whenever... There's a certain turn of an event in a story that causes some type of reversal of a action or something. Whenever that takes place, it's called a peripety if you want to get all technical about it, go home, study it, whatever. But when we look at this, 
And we look what happened in chapter number 6. Who caused this turn of event in chapter 6? Did Mordecai cause this in chapter 6? No. Mordecai don't know what's happening right now in chapter number 6. Well, who caused this event in chapter 6? Did Esther cause this event in chapter 6? No, not really. She's ignorant about what's going on at this moment in chapter 6 as well. So we're trying to, you know, we're trying to find the person responsible, as we oftentimes do. What's caused this to change? What's caused this to happen? What's caused this to take place? And again, we start to understand them. The underlying current that's here, that's not spoken of, but it is there. There's a God thing happening here. We can't place this on Esther, and we can't place this on Mordecai. We can't even place this on Haman. There's a God thing. Um, and I'm, I don't want to you know, bore your gourd out, but I do want to stretch you just a little bit. And I talked to my iron sharpens iron guys, some of our guys in ministry, we've talked about this before. There's something called, in the Bible that happens sometimes, it's called a chiasm. And I'll give you just a phrase that kind of depicts it. You know the old phrase, when the going gets tough? That's how it works with phrases, verses, whole books of the Bible. You, you, you see the structure. When the going gets tough, backed up with the tough gets going. It mirrors one another. There's a division line where one side of the phrase mirrors the other side of the phrase. Tough and tough, going and going. You find this in the Bible as well. Sometimes with one verse, sometimes with a passage or a whole book. It, it can get quite vast whenever you start looking. A good example in Scripture would be uh, the Bible states this one. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Very simple. See that? So it can expand through verses, chapters, and so on and so forth. So everybody okay? This, this is like some of the deeper waters of the lesson, okay? Everybody going to be all right? A little literary stuff here. Our whole Esther thing has been centered around a bunch of festivals. Many feasts that have been taking place. It started with two feasts uh, that the king prepared, one that was basically for all the provinces, one that kind of narrowed down for Shushan, all right? We had uh, Esther's feast. We had uh, Vashti's feast. We have the fierce feast that Esther's putting on. We're going to get to the second feast that she puts on. There was even a feast that came about when Mordecai will later get a promotion. And then the whole Jewish festival of Purim, is a two-day feast. One that the first day is for all the provinces and the second day of Purim is really for Jeshushan. If you start looking at this, and I should have brought out the whiteboard so we could draw and do arrows and stuff and make Haman's face with a tear coming down it. But no. <laughs> In the beginning, you just follow me here, first feast that the king threw was for all the provinces. That mirrors at the very end of the story, the second day of the, the first day of Purim, which is for all provinces. The second feast that he put on was just really for Shushan. The second day of the feast of Purim, mainly for Shushan. Then you come, and we could even talk about Esther's feast that was for her and her coronation as queen, her acquiring the office, mirrored to Mordecai's, the feast that they had with his promotion. You see what's going on here? Then you have the feast that Esther put on for the king and Haman. And on the opposite of that, you have her second feast she put on 
And right in the middle of usually any chiasm is the main idea, point, and turning of the whole event. And in the middle of all of this stuff is just one thing. The king cannot sleep. The king cannot sleep. The whole story seems to be hinged on, it's not Esther fighting against Haman and Haman fighting against Esther or Mordecai doing his thing. It's really all hinged upon the sleepless night of a king. We're like, that's kind of anticlimactic. Why? Because everybody's had a sleepless night. It's just so common. It's so regular. But when you begin to think a little bit that Haman's whole plans were foiled because a king had a sleepless night. That this whole thing had a dynamic turn because a king had a sleepless night. Esther, you at work? No. Haman, you at work? No. Mordecai, what are you doing to contribute to this? No. Who's at work? God's at work. Even so much that the Greek translation of the Old Testament takes that free phrase about the king not being able to sleep and they translate it like this. The Lord took sleep from the king that night. Whew, I like that. Whew. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. It seems so common, so ordinary, so regular. The Lord took sleep from the king Whew. that night. Why in the world? Because it was going to be the very pivotal point of foiling everything that Haman had in mind for Mordecai. And the reason why this is, is everybody okay? Is this all right? Okay. Think for a moment. When we look at the other deliverances of the children of Israel throughout history, many times it is done by some big miraculous thing. A big rock would be their deliverance from Egypt. What's going to happen? Death of the firstborn. Blood on the linen doorpost and their total escape coming about by the splitting of a Red Sea. Now, if that don't make the papers, then I don't know what will. But we come to Esther, and it's like the king could not sleep. Okay. Right? Because it's a regular event, it would seem. But it's so ordinary, and God uses it. And this is what, oh God, I feel the Holy Ghost. This is what's so amazing about God and the way that he works. And this is what we must get in our lives, that he works in ordinary things, regular, common things. It's not always the splashing of, of lightning or some miraculous. He works in ordinary, everyday life. And this is the reason why I say that. Because even the event, please follow here, even the event of just a child being born in Bethlehem's manger, and an execution of someone that they thought was just a regular old criminal taking place on Calvary turned the tide of events for all humanity through things that were just common, ordinary. Someone being crucified, baby being born. But a lot was pivoted and hinging upon what we would say were just common moments well, you say, well, that was a Christ child. Yeah, you know that now. But it was just a child being born in Bethlehem. 
It was just a man being crucified on the cross. And God, what we need to understand in our lives is that God works through those common overlooked moments even of our lives. Things that you may even consider as insignificant. A sleepless night of a king, big deal. I have sleepless nights too. (laughs) That might be a little ego in me coming out. I don't know. uh, (laughs) Right? God uses those moments to bring about his will. That turning of events. Ask yourself just real quickly for a moment. What happened and what was set in motion in your life to cause that change and reversal for your life? Think for a moment. What was it that was the the little push of the snowball down the hill for you? Oh, Brother Malone, how many times have you told us? I just showed up to a chili supper. Seems very innocent. People show up to things like that all the time. But God uses insignificant, common, ordinary things to begin to turn. Oh, somebody, a friend of mine was just gone. I was like, I'll just accompany him for they wouldn't be alone. Sam, I don't remember exactly. Was it Russell you came here with the first time? No, James? James, yeah. You know, just go come with a friend. You know, they're my friend innocent but God works at the level of the ordinary Mike Penrod and his son came because they thought it was hilarious like to come and laugh about it everything else yeah he's still here and his son is in a church and their children are in church no grand miracle or there was a neon sign that came in the stars that night. And I thought it was Orion, but it said go to church. <laughs> no. You can stand with me. Going forward in reverse, it was just something very, uh, I hope I made sense. Something just common. So we don't need to overlook. Dis- you know, the Bible says despise not the d- day of small things. Those things that we think ordinary, those things that we think are incident, don't despise because they could be the very, you know, big doors can swing on small hinges. Amen. But they're significant when it comes to the turning of what's going on. Man, help us, Jesus. And let's pray tonight. Father, I come to you this evening. God, I love you. I thank you, Lord, for being mindful of us. I thank you, Lord, for your handiwork in our lives. God, when we recognize it and when we don't recognize it. God, I don't want to take for granted, Lord, some regular ordinary. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.